My name is Al. Hi, my name is Bridget. Hi, my name is Johnny. And, and we've, we've never, never seen Primer. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Fine, I'll Watch It. You heard all our names up top, because we are all on the hot seat for the show, where we show somebody, anybody, sometimes multiple people, a film they've never seen before, but they absolutely should have, as we mentioned up top. We have never seen the film Primer from 2004, little indie darling, then it went on to big success at the Sundance Film Festival, and then on to cult status from there. So, Bridget, Johnny, welcome. Hello. Hi, thank you. We are coming off of our uh, ape roll. We moved into May. We don't have a catchy name for it, but uh, if you missed any of our Planet of the Apes coverage last month, make sure to check out some of those older episodes. Uh, but we're, we're sticking with sci-fi here, from what I understand, uh, and we're moving on to, to something completely different and taking it down several thousands, millions of dollars in the budget <laughs> yes. to, to see uh, what, what some indie darlings have, have come up with. So I think, Johnny, I'll start with you because you kind of brought this up as being a potential watch for this evening. Um, so what do you know about the film Primer? Give us a, a primer on Primer, as it were. So I've seen this movie pop up a bunch. Uh, I feel like I've seen this on my passing in Netflix and Prime Video, what I have gonna you. I say, I've seen this. I'm like, no, wait, wait, you just said you haven't. <laughs> no, <laughs> right, right. Uh, I have not seen the movie. I think I've seen the poster a fair amount of times. Yeah, same. Uh, Yes, I, from my understanding, it is a micro-budget movie in the vein of, like, Blair Witch, Clerks. Um, $7,000 is the budget. Yes. Very, very small. <laughs> um, but yeah, that it got a lot of success uh, with it, and that it's sci-fi related. Mm -hmm. No one that I know of of note is in it. Yeah, I think we were talking is. before that no one even really went on to gain any success from it. At least that we don't know of. Yeah, I mean, I just looked at like it's written, directed, produced, and starring uh, a man named Shane Carruth. Okay, and so figuring him being the mastermind behind this, he was the only name I really checked. And yeah, it's not like he went on to make big budget pictures or he went on to become an actor and star in things that you know like. Sometimes people take these successes on these small indie projects and then parlay that into blossoming careers. I mean, I mentioned to you guys, like Kevin Smith is someone who did that. Yeah, you know? like uh, Gareth Edwards, who directed mm -hmm. the Star Wars and Godzilla movies, yep. reboots, uh, had a micro-budget sci-fi movie called Monsters, where he was like the visual effects artist, the director, the writer, the editor. He did like all of it. And it was did well enough and looked well enough that... Got the attention of people at studios for Godzilla and Star Wars. I don't think he's made anything since, which is too bad, because I like both of those. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's another here or there. But yeah, that's kind of it. I get kind of like a Black Mirror vibe from this. Don't know why. Just, I don't know. So you don't know anything about what it's about? No. Okay. And I'm, I'm happy. Bridget, what about you? What have you? Do you have any I, notions I, or feelings about this? I have... There's part of me that believes this movie doesn't exist, and you guys are playing an elaborate <laughs> prank on me, and we're going to sit down, and I'm going to get Rick rolled. That's how little concept I have of this movie. I've never heard of it until we were discussing what to do for this episode. I know it was a darling at Sundance, <laughs> because we have mentioned it on the podcast. I know that its budget was $7,000, and I know that it is sci-fi, or speculative in some way. Okay. That is it. We, we don't even know if there's monkeys in it. Dude, uh, <laughs> there could be. There could be. Pri April never pri ends. Prime ape? Prime <laughs> 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 Yeah, if there's a monkey in it, we're definitely calling this monkey prime ape. Yeah. April has been extended. Yeah. Just a couple extra weeks. We might as well just go back and do the Ape sequels if that's the case. We may as well, yeah. <laughs> like, I know we thought we were done, but uh, Prime 8 is uh, pretty good. So yeah. we're just going to keep going. <laughs> MX2 May. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever it is, most extreme Prime 8. Yeah. Or MXP, excuse me. 
Um, yeah, I mean, this is one of those ones where I feel like this, I probably saw, like, the DVD box at the waning blockbusters. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Where this would have just been there. Or this would have been one of those, like, we're selling the card backs that we put behind all the movies when we're going out of business. And so as you're flipping through those, I feel like this is one I saw a bunch. Because the, the poster stands out a lot more to me than any of the... Because, like, I read it quick, like, not synopsis, but just, like, the description. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't go into any of the details. It's just, like, the basic overview. And none of it triggered anything. So, but I know I've seen this poster a bunch. I don't know if that's because it was a lingering rando thing at a blockbuster. Or if it's I saw the poster on walls of film kids at, in college. Because this also seems right up the alley of those kinds of people. Like, I feel like this is a... It's it's quirky, or it's uh, it's a mind fuck, and you gotta watch it, or it's I you gotta watch it and feel something because if you don't get it, then you're just dumb. Like it's one of those kinds sure. of movies is the kind of vibe I get from it. So we'll see if that. I don't normally like those movies either. Uh, so we'll yeah, see. Yeah, hopefully it's not pretentious. That's the thing. Yeah. One of the things I read though is that like it's like the Thinking Man sci-fi movie, and I was like, ooh, I don't like that description of the Thinking Man's anything. <laughs> mm. Because that means it could be too convoluted for its own good, and I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, like a Thinking Apes type of movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, keep it keep it simple. Don't, yeah. that don't is, overdo it. Yeah, that is a good red flag Yeah, for a movie. You know, we can't say that this movie is fun or compelling, Yeah, but you may think about it. Yeah. Or it means that it doesn't make any sense, and that it's convoluted and stupid, and that if you question that, you must not be a thinking man. Because this is a thinking man's sci-fi movie so if you're if you're not the thinking man then that's why you don't get it right like it just seems like the type of thing you put a label you put on a movie to then make fun of someone who didn't like it even though they're totally justified in not liking it you're making me like feel like i'm about to get into like a heated debate at a bar like no i get it yeah i I get it yeah i understand primer i get it it just sucks yeah i just don't like it yeah so we'll uh, we'll have to we'll have to revisit the thought process of the Thinking Man sci-fi movie right uh, afterwards since we don't know enough about it going in. I do know the generic uh, crux of it, uh, but I won't spoil that because you guys know absolutely nothing. So we don't want to give that away going in. I don't know how it pertains to the film itself. Again, I don't know any of the plot or anything, but I do know basically what the the issue is, as it were. The elevator pitch. Yeah, so um, I do want to get your thoughts on some of that, because there are other movies that maybe have similar things going on in that this one does. Okay. So we can get some of your favorites in the genre and in those ilk afterwards, because I don't want to okay. uh, cover that here. But I would spend a while since we've done like a straight sci-fi movie. Obviously, Planet of the Apes is sci-fi, but... Do you guys have any particular favorite low-budget sci-fi or indie sci-fi beyond Star Wars, which is technically an indie film? I know there was one a little while ago that is also in the same vein, like, oh, you gotta check out this little indie on Netflix or whatever the sci-fi, I think it was called the Europa Report or something like that. It's when we just sort of had, like, these influx of sort of space sci-fi related, where mm-hmm. I think visual effects have gotten, like, acceptable enough or for people that it was cheap enough to do in movies yeah. like fairly heavily in like the early 2010s or aughts or whatever that you had a bunch of these like what that like these different sci-fi movies on Netflix and mm-hmm. Prime that just looked like shit most of them but this one like ended up being like pretty good and I actually liked it but again something that was probably made for 50,000 or 100,000 which is like still small comparatively yeah. to most movies but um yeah I'd have to like really be hard pressed I know like Alien wasn't made for like a lot. I know we watched that one on mm-hmm. here. Like Close Encounters, again, still probably not in the complete micro budget conversation. Just like low budget, but yeah, because this well, is like micro. This is like nothing. This is almost like no budget movie. Yeah, this is a, this is a used car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. amount of money. Yeah, correct. <laughs> and it's several years old used car. Too. Right, like, right. This isn't you know this isn't anything where you're like oh I got some bells and whistles on this one or. You know, this is this is last year's model. No, no, this is like a 2012 Ford Fiesta. Yeah. <laughs> you can make a movie for the a Ford Fiesta. Get just get. It. There was one recently in uh, was it called the Platform? Did Doesn't you see that? No. Okay, that was a weird one that came out. I think over COVID or something or the pandemic, and that was fairly bizarre. And also one of these like micro budget Black Mirror, like an extended Black Mirror episode that. Mm-hmm. 
wasn't like 90 minutes, but it was somewhere in the vein of what this was. That you can call it like a feature, but also just they probably spent like no money on it, but just a really cool high concept mm-hmm. that had like this mindfuckery thing element to it. Yeah, there's always like a few movies every couple of years that comes out where I'm like, that's an intriguing premise. I might see that. And then it ends up being so limited release or whatever. Like Ex Machina is one that I've always wanted to go back and oh, that was a, that, that's great. A more it's on the list too. It's a more like indie sci-fi, low budget sci-fi. Um, Attack the Blocks, another one that I always oh, was like. Yeah, that's a great one too. You know, oh, I've heard nothing but great things about this little indie project out of the UK, and it's just a sci-fi alien movie. Like, I'm always intrigued by them, and then I miss them. They're very small theatrical runs, and then by the time they hit a streaming service with a million options, it. It always falls by the wayside for yeah. me. So I typically will miss out on a lot of films like this, where if it's not in theaters for more than two weeks, like I just, you know, I miss it sometimes. Do you have any particular favorites, Bridget? I don't, I've still, I really know nothing. You guys have been talking about the poster and, you know, looking up on IMDb. I just have blank squares, gray rectangles in my brain right now. <laughs> like trying to fill in gaps. I can't even put another movie into it. If we're talking, you know, kind of smaller scale sci-fi, Eternal Sunshine comes to mind. Mm, okay. You know. That one's also on the list. I've not seen that. Mm-hmm. Because you can't do big production like you would on, say, um, a Gravity or The Martian kind of thing. Sure. You know, you take the kind of speculative part and make it much more human focused which i do enjoy uh, so i'm curious i it's so hard for me to be like i what could a movie be that might be similar to this one and how do i feel about it i don't know but i like i like that kind of genre like i love twilight zone not as big a fan as that of black mirror i should say but you know yeah, I, think I like, feel open to even it. Even, like, in a broader My stroke. My heart is open. Yeah, like, in a broader stroke, like, a lot of horror movies. Like, there's a lot of great, like, Evil Dead. Like, what's, like, what's the one that came out recently with the cult and the girl or whatever? Oh, Midsommar. Midsommar. You can tell they probably spent almost no money on that. Mm-hmm. And it's just a cool, high concept. Yeah, like you mentioned Blair Witch. I'm Blair, just looking yeah, at, yeah. like, a Wikipedia article about, like, notable low-budget films. Uh, Paranormal Activities on oh, there. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, oh. That one only had a budget of 15 grand. Enter the Dragon, which we watched recently, was only $850,000 budget, so like quite a bit more than this one we're about to watch, but still in that incredibly low-budget sure. range. So stuff like that. Napoleon Dynamite yep. cost less than 400000 You know, These things come out technically like Halloween and Rocky are both technically low-budget. Yep. You know, So it's always interesting to see like something that comes out of a... Of a low budget that can secretly be like amazing, but typically you're not gonna um, you're yeah. not gonna see a ton of them. Another film here on this list, which I have not seen and I know people love. Do you have you guys seen Eraserhead? Yes. Okay. That was the first movie shown to me in college. A film class, my professor showed us that. Okay, that was a ten thousand dollar budget. Yeah. So, does it feel like that? Does it feel cheap? What Eraserhead? Yeah. Have you seen it? No. Oh, okay. Did you just say that or no? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just missed that one little detail. Yeah. Uh, yes, it does. Yeah, it feels, it's all shot in like one apartment and it's all just weird. I don't know, it's a David Lynch film with hums and radiators going off and it's just weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's one of those things where I talk about where like he took a $10,000 movie and became David Lynch off of it. You know, like this guy didn't do that. So it'll be interesting to see maybe why it was so beloved and not a catapult to success. Yeah, I mean, this is around the time where uh, digital cameras became more prevalent in the industry to, to be used on indie projects and the cost of film stock and getting that all put together and digital dig, digitized and mm-hmm. things like that was hugely expensive. So it became a lot more accessible, accessible for indie filmmakers and student filmmakers to start making legit features that look good, that mm-hmm. look... Like, you could watch it in a movie theater. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was guys in, like, 2012 that were filming entire feature-length films in secret on an iPhone at Disney World, where it's just like, how do you... Yeah. Like, how do you do that? Right. You know, you're you're lucky to be alive in a time where that's... <laughs> no, right. I think there's the movie called Tangerine that came out, which was about, like, uh, 
prostitutes or whatever in L.A. that was all shot on iPhone, and the guy went on to do a film called The Florida Project that mm-hmm. was also really good. I love The Florida Project. Florida Project is a great movie. But, again, it looks it goes to show you don't have to spend, break the bank, or spend almost any money to tell a good story. Yeah. Um, so before we actually get to watching this incredibly low-budget film, do you guys have any expectations whatsoever? I know we... We don't really know a lot going in, so it's hard to have expectations, but just knowing that it's low-budget sci-fi, does that trigger anything to make you excited, not excited? I mean, I expect, since the budget is so low, that we're not going to get any sort of big sets or any sort of big visual effects. The thing that's probably going to drive this most is going to be probably a fairly uh, claustrophobic movie with only a handful of actors and actresses. Dealing again with like what we were talking about, or like a high concept that drives the movie and is what is the biggest takeaway is like five people are like Saw, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like a few people in a room. This is the problem. It's a movie that's going to cut right to the chase. I don't think we mentioned at the top, but this movie is like an hour and 17 minutes soaking wet. So it's going to be fairly brisk. So yeah, I, 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 I expect a fairly confined story, but that has like a fairly interesting concept. I have. No expectations. I am just <laughs> complete blank slate. A, a complete blank slate, a vessel waiting to be filled. Okay. Yeah, I'm. In, I'm intrigued. You know, uh, like I said, the the thinking man's quotation I saw doesn't make me worry. <laughs> doesn't inspire great confidence in me. Um, there's some other things about it that I won't go into that that make me a little worried for it. But I also know that it it got a ton of high praise at a place where. It can be difficult to get high praise and then get distribution. And like people might say it's great and then nobody picks it up and nobody screens it. But like this actually did go on to make almost a million dollars in theaters. So clearly it had good word of mouth and people really enjoyed it. So it's got to be good for a reason. I'm just see if I get on the movie's wavelength, Mm. which I think with a short movie is going to be extra hard that if you're not on that movie's wavelength from the get go, the ride is a lot quicker and you may not get the chance to get on. Because it's it only goes for such a short period of time. Gotcha. So I'm interested to see uh, see how it turns out that way. But all right, what do we have to say for ourselves? Fine, Fine. I'll, I'll watch, watch it. it. Alright, we are back. We have just finished watching 2004's independent, micro-budgeted film, Primer. We were all in the hot seat this week. So, Johnny, I'll start with you. How are you feeling after watching this movie? This was rough. (laughs) In what way? In what way? Elaborate. I started catching on later on in the film what was going on, but the way it was executed also created a lot of confusion mm-hmm. the editing i yeah do you feel like you were locked in a box for six hours and dumped <laughs> like back in the past yeah i felt like i was locked up a u-haul for fucking what seemed like two hours yeah there's a lot to admire i suppose the ambition but i think the execution of it is just not streamlined enough to make complete sense and the fact that we're scrambling to look at charts and everything afterwards doesn't mm-hmm. really prove to be well executed the point at which we start to get doubles and like the 
spoiler alert, this is a time travel movie. Yeah. Um, I knew that was what I knew going in. Okay. I'm glad I didn't know it. It kept me more in the movie. But the point at which, and this will always happen in any time travel movie, that the timeline gets hairy and things start to split off becomes very confusing. Mm -hmm. Which could be a purposeful choice on this movie's part. But there were things happening plot-wise that I didn't understand. I felt confused a lot of the time. And I did have to reference a chart. Fortunately, there is one on Wikipedia. Yeah. I think part of that has to do with the fact that they're using a lot of character first names for characters we either don't meet or don't get to spend any time with. Mm -hmm. So for a while, I was like, wait, is Rachel one of their wives? Is it a girlfriend? Is it that random person who... They vaguely talked about at a party who has a dad that might be a venture capitalist. Is that Rachel? Like, is that who we're talking about? Um, so I don't like, remember any of their names. Abe, maybe. Yeah, it's Abe and it's... Aaron. And Aaron. And Aaron. Yeah, those are the two mains, and that's really all you have to know about. But then once it gets into the weird shotgun Rachel subplot, that's where I was like, wait, who's Rachel? Who's got a shotgun? Do we know Rachel's ex-boyfriend? Like, Why does this matter? How'd yeah. the dad get in? Yeah. It uh, it definitely it makes itself very confusing. And to your point, Johnny, the first like I don't know twenty minutes of a very short movie is spent with a lot of just like technological jargon, which may be real, it may not be, but it's definitely you got to be a thinking man to get into it because <laughs> uh, they're just like, and then we do this, and we're bringing the temperature down, and then this will be here, and the conductors and palladium and all this. And I'm just like, uh, is this is any of this necessary to telling me the story of time travel? I feel like I don't need the sciencey part necessarily i like it though because it's not the sciencey part like i i think he knew no one's gonna understand what i'm talking about but the movie is showing you who these two characters are from the start the way that they're ostracizing their other two partners who's really the leader of the two of them who's the one is actually gonna figure something out about this machine who can be trusted it sets the stage for everything that will come, particularly with their friendship and relationship. But mm -hmm. yeah, I suppose I just feel alienated for most of it because there isn't like a character like, well, wait, what does that mean? And it's like, it's not completely dumbed down, but in other movies, there is a character built into the story to be like, oh, okay, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know what no I mean? Audience like process. punching, like punching a folded paper with a pencil saying this is how time to or how a wormhole works you know what yeah. i mean like yeah. showing us like a, a, at a physical level what i'm sort of like just giving me enough to be like oh okay i think i kind of get what's going on i feel kind of smart opposed to being like i i don't belong in this room or i don't want this conversation <laughs> yeah. get me out of this garage. yeah my pea brain does not belong here yeah i mean it, there's no there's no audience proxy correct which makes it difficult to put it in the simplest of terms like there's no marty mcfly here to no. explain what's happening. Like, and they do it a little bit where they first uh, go through and Abe explains the box. There's a little Aaron. bit of like like the drawing with the, the A and B and going back and forth. Yeah. I was like, okay, here we go. Maybe I can finally start understanding. Like, I, write it down for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll do the chart here just to cover our basis. So that way we're all on the same page for the rest of the discussion because I think that will be helpful. Correct. Mm -hmm. All right. So, the way the box works, and the way their time travel machine works, is that the original person on an undisturbed timeline decides to time travel. They activate a delayed switch and leave the box. So that's that 15-minute primer that they need to get the machine up and running, all set up. They leave, go about their day, while the double is, like, exiting. So they go about their day at the hotel, just staying out of sight, staying out of contact because during that time they're at the hotel their time travel double is living their life making stock trades and you know betting on basketball or whatever then after that time so we're talking like noon to six so this is the six hours the chart deals with uh at six the original person enters the box having researched all of the big market jumps for the day six o'clock they get in the box and then go back in time to noon while being in the box for another six hours. Uh, and then that person exits at noon, lives their full day, does all of the actual trading, all of the eating, all of the whatever, uh, and then continues on. 
with their life to go to the next day. And then the double then becomes the original, I guess. Like, the, it does like a loop-de-loop. So I'm not... Yeah. The, the chart doesn't... It's not a circle. It's a skateboarding loops. It's a Hot Wheels track, yes. total 360 low. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens with the double? <laughs> so the double... There's only a brief period of time where a double exists, essentially. Um, during those six hours that theoretically the original person is hiding out in the hotel, that's when the double comes out. But then eventually you get back on the tracks as the original person go into the box and then you become the double from six hours earlier. So it's like the double never existed? Basically. Once you get in the box. Okay. Yeah, but you're also your existence is just to get in the box for as long as the loop continues. Mm-hmm. Like you, theoretically, you I guess could stop it at any point mm-hmm. once you've like made enough money to comfortably live and take your bajillion vacations. But up until that point, your life exists to just get in the box, and then you're essentially spending twelve dead hours a day, six in the hotel room, six in the box, while a double of you goes and lives your life and it's not a double it is you but there's just two of you existing at a certain time which is why their days become 36 hours because it's the normal 24 plus the 12 that they're doubling and living box life so it becomes a long day takes its toll (laughs) sure again and again to yeah to your point this is only fully comprehended by me now having looked at this chart correct because you're right, the editing and the fact that they're always wearing a button-down shirt with a tie. You never get a sense of, okay, is this the double that we're following? Is this the real person? Is there a real person? Is everybody a double? What are we, what are we doing here? Yeah. So the fact that there's... and I don't know how much of this is a, a purposeful choice in the movie-making part of it, and how much is it we just don't have a budget for constant costume and clothing changes. Yeah. But everything is very much the same, and it always only takes place at the hotel, the library, the box, the house with the garage. Like those are the four places. Yeah. And so you never get a sense of what's real or what's like what's happening. Right. Yeah. And like I could understand that the first time that Abe walks you through that that loop path, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. But it's when we start to have multiple doubles kind of running amok like and things are going wrong and why are their ears bleeding i never could quite i couldn't wrap my head around it i did feel like abe like i'm just gonna faint (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna pass out yeah so the reason that happens and this is again reading the wikipedia helps me understand this Mm -hmm. the reason that happens is that after they find out about rachel's father that he somehow has entered the box we don't know how never explained it was never the point to explain it it was just to set up the box equals bad yeah which we could assume anyway yeah that's Um, when abe hits goes to the fail safe right so that future abe then says okay i'm going to go to a secret third box that i built to help stop the first two abe and aaron's from getting in the box to begin with because it's just too dangerous we can't let this happen so now He's gone back even further to stop the whole experiment from taking place. And that's when we find out about Aaron's earpieces and knowledge of the future, because he's listening to the conversation that's already taking place, because future Aaron's also gone back with a fourth super extra fail-safe box that he was able to uh, create from other box parts somehow. So everybody's now gone back a second time. So now there's... The exist the original Aaron and Abe, their infinite daily loop Aaron and Abe, and then also future Aaron and Abe who've now gone back to the beginning and are now living that period of time while the future selves are in the box for a really long time. I it's the more I say it, the less I believe it. <laughs> not quite sure what's actually taking place. Well, whatever you said was fairly impressive, but um, yeah, I don't know. I. I get it. I, I listen. I get I, it. I get it. I don't get it, but I get it. Yeah. Um, the move. The guy who created this movie obviously conceived this and tried to do everything he can to make this as yeah. polished, 
he has a background in math. Intellectually as possible. Yeah. But at the sacrifice of not holding the audience's hand through it, which is what most movies should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most movies should be doing. Yeah, and it doesn't... Like, even, do- like, movies like Inception and other movies where... That's a good example of, you know, we're going through multiple Because at least layers. I walked away with, I think I got what I just saw, and now I'm more interested. Like, here, it was like... Again, I, I would have to look at a chart to understand. Yeah, because I think movies like Inception are great because you can understand what you watched on the once through, and then you go and you read about it, and you do subsequent watch throughs, and you look for clues to see if what you watched is actually what you watched. Did you watch something slightly different because the worlds are different than you thought at the yeah, time? Yeah, because what I'm looking at after Inception is like supplemental understanding opposed to a complete, full-on understanding of the movie. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, oh, was that a dream? I don't know. Let me look at the clues. That deserves another watch through. This doesn't have the, like, clues to understand. It's just a little... It doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have that proxy. It doesn't have that person asking questions in the movie that need to be asked. And they're only asked maybe once or twice by someone who's vastly smarter than I am. It's not someone that's like... (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just... it's the, The two guys are asking each other questions opposed to someone's mom be like, What are you guys doing? Like... Me and mom are together. Like, I don't like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, the wife should have asked more questions instead of just being like, I don't know what I'd do with a bunch of money. Yeah. What's that? I don't know. Like, lady, come on. What do you do? Like, you never have been asked a hypothetical before? Mm-hmm. Right. But I get it. They're like, they're two friends. They're two equally smart guys that aren't going to share the secret. So we're in a room with them. We're flying the wall with these two very mm-hmm. smart people. Yeah, because it would be contrived if they were ex- overly explaining the science to each other. Because it's like, you guys get it. You don't need that. Yeah. Come on. That's why, like, things like Breaking Bad work. You got, like, the Aaron Paul's character asking all the science questions and yeah. trying to understand how fucking meth is made and shit like that. You know what I mean? It just... I mean, that may be a porpoise example, but, I'm no, just, but it's it... like, yeah, it's that's what I mean. It's like, all great stories have that sort of... Especially stuff like this, where it is based... I don't know. Again, I don't know if the math is right or the science is right, but it's at least meant to be based in some kind of grounded science. It's closer than a DeLorean. Correct. Which, like, that one's easy to throw away. Like, it's a flux capacitor, and it makes it possible. Don't even worry about it. Here's some blinking lights. We're gonna go to the 50s. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Uh at least there's that proxy. Right. So, how did you feel about it, Bridget? I actually, I, there were parts of it where I was like, I don't know what's going on. But I still enjoyed it. Not knowing it was a time travel movie did enhance the viewing experience, I think. Because when your only understanding of this movie is just gray rectangles <laughs> of the IMDb page you've imagined. Yeah, we showed you the poster and you were still like, nope. Yeah, and it was just like unwrapping a mystery box the whole way. Yeah. So, you know, you start off with these guys working on a machine, then you get a sense of the team... Then you see it do a spooky thing. Then you you wait a little bit and it's doing more and more spooky things. So the time travel element is not even revealed, I think, until... It's like halfway. Halfway. Right. And then, then it's like, oh shit. And it's sort of like you're watching a different movie, which I enjoyed. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. It was... It didn't feel predictable. Yeah, so at no point did you feel, oh, are we doing time travel? Until he's like, this isn't a prank. I gotta tell you something. Look through these binoculars and there it's me from four hours ago. Yeah. Whatever. It was, at, that was definitely like, ooh, okay. shit. Well, I guess we knew, like, kind of when they're sitting there. But I didn't think, like, oh, shit, he's already done it. Mm-hmm. Um, My problem comes later in the movie when you start to have when they're in their money-making loop where you start to have the sort of side quests happening Mm -hmm. that I wasn't clear enough that whether these things were happening, who's Rachel, who's the dad, and, you know, why why does Abe stay with him when he realizes his failsafe has failed? Like, why do they run the loop? Why do they still go to the party? 
and stop the shooting. Yeah, because, like, even when we first hear about the shooting, they weren't like, oh, my God, so-and-so got killed last night. It was just a guy brought a gun to the party and everyone got scared. It's like, okay, why do you need to time travel yeah. that? But I think... Literally nothing happened. Yeah, and I think one of the errands had done it. Like, some errand had stopped the fight because that's when Abe catches on. Like, you've gone off the timeline. Like, yeah. people saw you at this party. You... Whatever. That was the part that was confusing. Of like, why am I seeing this? Why are they doing this specific thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could have had the friendship unravel just the same with like stock trading and betting, and mm -hmm. like they they still or could have like, fallen out out of favor with each other and the plan. Yeah, and like the dad just or the random girlfriend's dad getting in the box. Also, what happens to him? We see a mask pushed over his face in a spooky way. Like I just. Was that even the dad in the box that got that? I thought that was one of the Abes. Or one of the Aarons. <laughs> I couldn't even tell. I thought it was the dad. Maybe it's an... I, see, this is the thing. Yeah. Some of it... Because it's a super close-up of just a random guy's face, and they all kind of look and the And then same. just uh, um, The end... Needed someone who I think was more of... A story person. Who could take you know, the the time travel concept that they had laid out, which I do think is a good one, mm -hmm. but I think because some of the story beats are not as well thought out, they're not introduced at the right time, or they're just not, you know, executed in a way that it's clear what's going on, it makes the time travel element seem more confusing than it actually is. Mm -hmm. And that's not because the time travel method is confusing it's because of the way that these elements are being thrown at you on the screen and i feel like had they had someone of like you need to plant the seed at this time like mm -hmm. someone who's like has a really good understanding of narrative yeah. that would have helped yeah. but i still ended up liking it yeah i would recommend it to someone like if you want to see something if you want to see what can be done with a seven thousand dollar budget mm -hmm. and a really good well thought out idea because i did think i don't know i liked it yeah it's I'd, a cool concept i'd give it an eight okay it does feel a little bit like i'm gonna use every single trick in the book mm -hmm. every single animation in powerpoint like all the different <laughs> angles and but it's it's cool i liked it the mom and dad made the food come on now <laughs> Chip. Chip, yeah. chip, chip, thanks a lot. Chip and Kath, thank yeah. you for your service. Your craft, craft service. service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it felt very much like a student film throughout yeah. most of it. Like, I've, Johnny, you and I have probably seen enough student films to to know the the tropes when we see them. Yeah. Um, and this kind of had it, like the washed out look of it, the lighting, just the... The way that people will enter a room sometimes even feels student filmy of just like, okay. Yeah, all the blocking is really, that's not sloppy, but it's just, it shows the characteristics of someone who's just starting out in filmmaking. And there's some interesting things going on here. There's camera movements that really don't make any sense here or perspectives. And it's just, again, limited budget, but also I would have done it differently. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, there's just certain shots that I just don't think need to be, there's music cues that are like head scratching. Uh, it sounds like, like, Thomas Newton's American Beauty soundtrack at one point. I'm like, I don't know what I'm listening to at this particular <laughs> moment. Someone's being strangled or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just, it's, it, and I think maybe for me, because I have such an admiration for the process and filmmaking, and I think I've watched enough and, and, and been fortunate enough to be around some of that in my, in my career that I found some of it distracting to the story and maybe mm -hmm. trying to understand it where it's like... God, why is he doing this or why is he doing that? Or yeah, listen, I we talk about the Blair Witch Project and other movies that are just you know inherently the polish there is not needed because the movie is about someone walking around with a DV camera in the woods. Yeah, paranormal activity, same kind of thing. Correct. Like yeah. So like webcam footage. There's so much forgiveness going on with those productions. Where here, I think they're going for a more dramatic narrative effect, and it just looks very cheap. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the fact that some of the execution is done in a way that I wouldn't or is poorly done just uh, accentuates how cheap mm -hmm. the movie looks. So, I think 
for large portions of it. I was distracted by that and the flow of it and like Bruce said, someone who's a little more adept at doing some of that stuff narratively would have sown the seeds early on some of the beats and given you some foreshadow to particular moments that would have been heavier, more impactful later on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Where just like, oh, was that like the big moment? I don't was I supposed to register as something important? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that moment is Rachel's dad, where you're just like, oh, fuck, he grew a beard fast, maybe? Like, <laughs> yeah, so, like we just, don't see him before that to know. We're just them telling us, like, I think he had a beard. No, I definitely saw him this afternoon. He didn't have a beard. No, that was three days worth of beard growth. Something's up. Right. And, like, so this panic in the car is I'm meant to feel panicked with them, but I don't, because I don't know who they're talking about or why it would happen. But clearly, I, I'm assuming one of them went to the venture capitalist guy to be like, guys, I have a time travel machine. Money, please. Yeah. And then he's like, all right, but I got to try it out. And then he wigs out and has ear bleeds or does something wonky or whatever. So who, who the fuck knows? But yeah, uh, despite the, my original point is despite the like student film look to it, I actually quite liked it. Like, I was engaged in it, even knowing the time travel element. I thought all the actors were honestly pretty decent for people that aren't actors per se. Like I again, I don't think any of them have gone on to do anything other than additional crew. But yeah, um, you know, I didn't. I wasn't taken out by any of their performances. Like I thought they were all pretty good. Abe and Aaron, I thought both did a pretty good job. The dialogue is a little wonky at the beginning because again, it's a lot of science talk in a room full of people who understand science talk. So as an audience member, I'm just kind of like, this is just all kind of washing over me. It's not doing anything. I'm not... Yeah, is there, any food, like, is there any food to be put on my plate on this? Like, let me eat a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically just like, okay, get to the point where you're going to do something that I care about. Because this, like, argument at the dining room table about what projects they want to work on next, or whose turn is it to patent a new idea. Like, I didn't care about any of that. So it did. It was a little bit of a struggle to like get into the movie because we we're like, just can we get to the part where you're gonna do the a primer? Yeah, please. Because like I don't care about this infighting with your group when I'm not gonna see these two ever again. And it seems a lot of the time when they are sort of explaining something is done in a way where the it was a filmmaking decision to have the air, the characters talk over each other like almost argumentatively about mm-hmm. what's going on. Where mm-hmm. it becomes very muddy. Where in a movie, say, I don't like Uncut Gems, where people are constantly screaming and talking to each other over each other, you can almost understand everything that's going on somehow because it's so well executed and scripted yeah. that it's you're you're getting the information you needed. But here, it's like, wait, slow down, everyone, one one at a time. <laughs> yeah, the fuck did he just say? Yeah, what did you just say? It's, <laughs> it's uh, so I mean, there's just there are times where I'm trying to latch onto something, but it's like one one at a time, guys. Yeah. Throughout that, I'm, you eventually, yeah, I eventually got onto it. I'm like, okay, it's a cool like time travel loop. I don't quite understand the loop 100, percent but I kind of get it. They got to hide out so they don't cross paths. Got it. The box is the time travel machine. Got it. They're gonna use time travel to make money on stocks. Got it. Like that's that's really all I needed to understand. And the rest of it, I needed the chart, but didn't want to look at the chart during the movie because then I'm looking at a chart and not watching a movie thinking maybe the movie will explain it better or catch me up or something will happen that will force me to understand better. And when that didn't happen, it does kind of become a letdown in the end. But I mean, overall, I thought it was okay. I thought it was pretty decent. I can mm-hmm. understand why uh, it needed, like it got praise because it's a, like you said, Bridget, it's a cool out of the box idea. Time travels hard. You know, the second you start to think about it too much, it falls apart. This, at least with the rules they've set up, seems to make sense. There doesn't seem to be a lot of built-in paradoxes because it is, they're not just going back in time and coming back whenever they want or living out the rest of time. Like there's a specific set of details. So you have rules that can be easily followed. And I like that about it. And I think the execution of that is, is pretty well done. It's just they introduce too many things that they don't give enough to. And that makes the movie suffer. Like, we talk yeah. all the time about, I wish this was 20 minutes shorter. I wish this one was 20 minutes longer. Because I want them to be one or two more scenes of them explaining who they are, 
why was the party where we find out who Rachel is and who Rachel's dad is, why was that like a montage where it was just them having conversations at a table outside or at the grill? Like, have me meet this guy if he's important to the plot later. Have a conversation where you explain that he's a money man and you want to meet him. Like, don't have this weird, like, should we call him Mr. Johnson? I don't know. He's going to think we're children. Like, I don't care. Like, why are you having this argument? Right. Uh Just have me meet the man that's going to be the crux of your time travel bad narrative uh, half an hour from now. So just, you know, to your point, Bridget, I think someone needed to come in and either give them a little bit more time and money or just needed to tighten up that script so there's no leaks the way they tighten up the box so the Argon doesn't get out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because there are some really neat threads that I wish they had been able to pull on a little bit longer. Like the wife saying, I think there's squirrels in the attic. And you immediately are like, who the fuck is in the attic? What is going on? It's so spooky. And... Is that one of the Aarons? Or one of the Abes is in the attic? One of the Aarons, it seems like. Okay. And even the sequence where the father shows up and he has a beard and it's very confusing, that sequence is really spooky. Like, the way it's shot, because you can just kind of see the headlights in the back in the rear view. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, if you've ever had a dream where you're being chased, like, it just had that really visceral, Mm. like, ooh. What I didn't like there is that they kept cutting to them, like, Abe running past the garage. Like, they just kept cutting to them sitting in the car, and then Mm. maybe a flash forward, maybe a flash back. Like, I didn't understand, because they're wearing the same clothes, I don't know who that is. Is this a hallucination? Is this a thing that already happened and we already saw it? Like It was a weird artistic choice. Are there two Abe's there right now? Like, when he went into the back and someone was on the ground, and the dad was on the ground, and he's like, oh, I slipped. I'm like, "Who, who is that? Is that second Abe? Is that second Aaron? Like, I don't... What's happening? (laughs) Yeah. So if they just stuck to that, like, you know, constantly looking back at the headlights and the panicked calling, like, I would have thought that would have been a much more well-executed scene. But again, they kind of build on their own thing and add things that don't matter. Yeah. And there's not a visual shorthand that helps the viewer understand... Like, why are we cutting back to him running through the yard? Mm -hmm. I kept looking for meaning that wasn't there in some of the directional choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I'm trying to see, like, is his hair disheveled because he's he's box Aaron? Is his, like, tie undone because he had to rip, like, something happened? Like, something that tells me this is a different person than the person sitting in the car? Or is this just a hallucination? Like, there there are no visual indicators. Again, we're in a shirt and a tie and a sweater vest i think mm-hmm. this time <laughs> right yeah uh i did i was looking doing a little bit of research right before the movie started i'm like i guess i should see this poster and figure out who this director is he has one other movie that was released in 2013 a full-length movie i should say it's like color upstream or motion color upstream color upstream color thank you um and he's kind of directed a couple episodes for television shows um like the girlfriend experience he did the score for this movie and he has scored a few other projects as well but he has it seems retired from film um had some big projects just not be able to take off for whatever reason and he also has some not so great in history in his personal life section of his wikipedia a very recent domestic violence arrest in january of this year oh awesome and a different ex-girlfriend who has a restraining order so yeah that could be a factor yeah yeah Yeah, so that's that's tough so that that, i guess that explains some of it Mm -hmm. and the his co-star went on to have a couple bit roles on tv it does look like the uh the guy who played abe does have some more acting uh on his uh on his resume hmm. so yeah some tv he was in argo he's in a show called flaked on netflix so some things that at least people have uh have heard of mm-hmm. at the very least so that's good yeah but yeah the director not so much yep but he does have an actual background in you know 
math and this sort of theoretical math and I don't know from someone who has to think really hard every time she fills out the tip line at a restaurant like (laughs) to me it felt like okay this is someone who has a much better grasp of math and physics than I do Mm. yeah because I think uh, let me pull up the quote here because he did say he wanted to Oh, he wanted to portray scientific discovery in a down-to-earth and realistic manner. He noted that many of the greatest breakthroughs in science uh, have occurred by accident. So that's what, essentially what happens in this. So that was why he kind of went with the, we want to make it seem like it's legitimate. We want to use a lot of the buzzwords. And some of the things I'm assuming in there do make sense from a scientific standpoint, especially when they were talking about like you know lowering the temperature to make it room temperature and whatever weird superconductor thing they were making. So, I mean, that part of it was cool, uh, and the fact that there is probably some basis for some of the ideas in it. Obviously, time travel will, you know, believe it or not. Yeah. I don't think it will ever take place, but who knows? Uh, at least the stuff around it seems legitimate, as it were, which is nice. All right. How did you guys feel about the time travel rules that they set up and the whole time traveliness of it? Does it work for you? Does it not work for you? Now that we've understood the loop and the and the chart. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's just, like I said, I think the fact that we sort of have to resort to sort of a full, basically try it. You maybe understood 20% of it leaving or whatever, maybe at least for me. And the fact that I have to look at something to understand all, like, all, like 80% mm-hmm. of it is just, like I said, it's, it's, it's smart. And I suppose it makes sense, but I just wish it made more sense watching the movie. Just a little bit more. Yeah. Um, the parts of it that I do like, I like that it feels janky. I like that it feels unsafe. You know, it's not a slick machine. It looks yeah, like it something dirty. you would make in a garage. Yeah, mostly like PVC piping and sheeting. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm fine with the the rules of it. I guess. Just wish the end was a little bit cleaner. Cleaner. More legible, yeah. I guess, is the be- the best way to put it. Yeah, it's like a proof of concept or like a spec for like a Black Mirror episode that just runs a little longer than it should or maybe needs to be longer. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea. It's a great concept. But I think either have it be like a 45, 50 minute Black Mirror episode or have it be a little more fleshed out mm-hmm. and concise where if you're going to go tackling other characters and plot points at mm-hmm. the towards the end. It doesn't feel incomplete or rushed or like, what? wait, 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 we're doing this now and then have it end. Yeah, that does kind of feel like they were like, all right, well, we've got we've got an hour, but that's not feature length. So we need another 15, 20 minutes. Well, let's just throw a random character's dad in there and say he went in the box and we can fill 15 minutes with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because like even that part, like it's OK. It's a cool concept i guess to throw in oh shit a random third person has access to the box now how do we get there oh it doesn't matter we're not going to tell you that this is just a this is just an excuse to break up the friendship because all of that whole sequence from the fact from once we get the revelation that the dad went in the box to every other like scene until the airport almost is a super blurry close-up and shaky a little bit. Mm. So, like, I literally had no idea who most of those characters were, even when there's, like, the pounding at the attic. Who fell out of the attic? That was that was the Aaron? That was Aaron. Okay. Which Aaron? I don't know. Ah, uh, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's just, like, it's just one of those things where, again, like, I... You're throwing a lot at me, but you're also not throwing it at me in a way that is easy to visibly see what's taking place. Like, let alone the logistics of thinking about it, or wrapping my brain around it, or you know, being a thinking man, as it were, I don't, I can't, I can't actually tell who that is because your filmmaking choices are weird and wonky. Why are you doing that? I was this close to enjoying this more. <laughs> right. It reminds me a lot of a movie that came out fairly recently called Coherence. I don't know if you've seen that movie at all. Mm-hmm. Also kind of like an indie sci-fi, high concept, low budget, kind of just a group of people. Really cool movie, but I mean, I won't spoil anything. But like, there's like this this comet that flies over at night. They're all trying to watch after like after our dinner party, and there's a power surge, and all these weird sort of things start happening in the neighborhood. And 
uh, and there's situations where it's like, is that the right Sarah or am I the Sarah? Like, it's just, mm-hmm. and it's really well executed and it's a little more clearly put together, but um, it has a lot of fun with the concept. But yeah, that also reminded me of this. Hmm. Yeah. So we didn't talk about it in the before part, but I do just want to get you guys' baseline on this. Well, do you have any favorite time travel movies? Oh. I was we mentioned Back to the Future Back already. Back to the Future. Yeah, I mean, that's, classic. that's classic. A yeah. favorite for everyone that's seen it. We'll eventually find someone who hasn't. It's hard because we don't want to be friends with those people, but we'll cover it eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this isn't a real answer. Um, but the episode of Star Trek Next Generation where they go back and meet Mark Twain. <laughs> particular um, favorite that's a particular okay. favorite. Um, okay. uh, it's not good, but yeah. it's great. Um, I don't know. Why am I so hard-pressed to think of other time travelers? I mean, there's things like Looper, which I did see. The, yeah, Looper was good. The guy who, um, who wrote and directed into all this was actually a consultant on Looper for some of the time travel stuff. But his ideas were deemed too expensive to film, so they didn't actually use it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, stuff like Looper, Terminator. Well, yeah, okay, Terminator, uh, yeah. You know, just yeah. stuff like that that involves time travel and time travel rules. You know, those are always uh, prime examples. Yeah. The Avengers Endgame had some time travel in it. That was pretty well done from a time travel perspective. Did you guys ever see Safety Not Guaranteed? No. no. It's a pretty good one. It's a little indie darling about... Have you guys ever seen the picture of, like, the newspaper ad that's like... Oh. You gotta go back in time, bring your own guns. Like, yes. I, yep. It's about that, essentially. Okay. Um, I think it's based on the true story, but it's probably mostly 90% made up. And mm-hmm. Jake Johnson's in it. And it's a pretty... I forget who did it, but it's somebody who went on to do um, more things. Oh, Colin Trevorrow. Who did um, oh, okay, right. Jurassic yeah, World Jurassic, yeah. and um, so he did Safety Not Guaranteed. That one's pretty good. They don't actually, I don't think they actually go back in time. Spoilers, but yep. it's just about time travel and adjacent. And that's what I was thinking of most when I was watching this because it's another indie movie that's time travel. Adjacent, sure, sure. At the very least. But yeah, Back to the Future is one of my all-time, all-time yeah. faves. Yeah. As it is for, I think, most people that that see it. That's, I think, the pinnacle of time travel. Yeah. This one, I think, does a pretty good job from a time travel perspective. Everything else is a little iffy, but the time travel part of it, at least, I'm like, okay, yeah, I buy it. Yeah. Now that I understand it. <laughs> that I have a chart. <laughs> Needs those leaflets, I'm like just the original a... Dune, where it's like, okay, here's the loop. Here's yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Works. I'm just imagining, yeah, the usher at the movie theaters. <laughs> have you gotten your, your chart yet? Did you get your time travel loop chart? Okay. Use your chart and your 3D glasses. <laughs> You'll be in Cinema 13. Yeah. This is 2004, though, so it would have been the red-blue 3D. <laughs> True. <laughs> it wouldn't have been the uh, the fancy version. Yeah. yeah. The kind you can pop the lenses out. Yeah. Just wear regular glasses. <laughs> exactly. In your your photo booth. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't hipster 3D. It was... It was... Billy Zane in Back to the Future 3D. <laughs> <laughs> or Billy Zane's friend, who was wearing the 3D glasses. <laughs> I mean, it's a short movie. Is there anything else that you guys really want to go over? I feel like we've kind of hit all the major beats in terms of what we think about it. And again, the plot almost doesn't really matter that much. It is just get to explanation of time travel, do some time travel, yeah. and then have a wonky close. Right. Like, is really kind of all it is. Because even the time traveling parts of it, they don't really do much. It's literally just, you know, have fun playing Scrabble at the hotel. Uh... Go to the library and do some stock tips. Yeah. Lookups. Eat a muffin, which yeah. looked really good. Yeah, it was a stock yeah, muffin. Yeah, that looked really good. Dude, I was... I'm hungry. But yeah, I mean, I suppose in other... Critics have said this with other movies that are just sort of very high intellectual, maybe a bite convoluted movies, is that it's just... It's work that's not fun for the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, I like movies that challenge me, and it takes work to understand, but if they're not fun... Really, then I just, I try to find other things to enjoy about it. And typically there would be the aesthetics of a movie and here there are none. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just, I was grasping at something to enjoy for most of this. I knew at the end, having probably looked at a chart or something like that, like, oh, okay, of course, that's cool. That's smart. I wish I caught that early on. But the fact that in my first viewing and probably only viewing experience of this movie mm-hmm. is that I didn't grab it right away and it wasn't too fun to mm-hmm. try and figure out. 
but it's 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 it's, it's a lot to admire, and I always appreciate anyone who gets into filmmaking and kind of shoots for the uh, the backfield. But um, yeah, yeah, I I liked it a lot. I think because I didn't know a lot going in, so if you're listening to this. Get into a box. Go mm-hmm. to a point in which you've not listened to this part of the podcast. <laughs> and, and then come back. And then watch it come back. But I don't know if I had known it was time travel, if I had known the the concept beforehand, whether I would have liked it as much. Having the element of surprise, I think, does a lot for this movie in terms of keeping you engaged and making you a little bit more forgiving of it. But I would still recommend it. I don't know. I liked it. I could give it a C. Solid C. <laughs> you know. So we've gone from an eight to a to a seven. To seven. Oh, did I give an eight? Oh shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. You're allowed to We were talking about it more. I'm like, nah. Yeah. I don't know. Seven. Yeah, some of the quotes here just in in the Wikipedia of like other critics and things like that. One person says, uh, Scott Tobias writes for the AV Club, the banter is heavy on technical jargon and almost perversely short on exposition. Were it not from the presence of voiceover narration, the film would be close to incomprehensible. Which I think the narration, which we didn't really talk about, almost is more confusing because I don't know who it is that's talking. Yeah, right. It's the most future Aaron. Maybe? The most future Aaron, I think, who runs away to France. And he's, because he's the one that has all the recordings that he gave to second, later, future, double Aaron to then go back, maybe? See, this is, I can't, I can't, (laughs) I'll have a migraine. Mm -hmm. It is, it is listed by Popular Mechanics as the number two best time travel movie of all time, according to them. Okay. All right. Number three was Terminator and Terminator 2, because it's the same time travel mm, same. Yeah. essentially. And then Back to the Future is number one. So it's sandwiched in between some absolute classics. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's tough. I think it's easy to recommend, because it's a very digestible, It's only 76 minutes. Come movie. On. And it doesn't, it's not that I, that you can't understand the movie per se, one watch through. Because, like, you get it. Yeah. You know what happens in it, but it's it's hard to see all of the details because I think that's a filmmaking choice, not a story choice. Mm-hmm. Whereas we talked about like Inception, those are story choices you may not fully understand. These are filmmaking problems that, that yeah, cause right, that. right. Um, so, but I mean, the other people seem to like it. Ebert liked it. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of other outlets like it. It's got a pretty decent Rotten Tomato score. People compare it to two thousand one and. Somebody in, in one of the Karuth's IMDb said that somebody, I think it was Soderbergh, said that he's like the son of David Lynch and James Cameron. Like, so he got a lot of praise. Yeah. Uh, and the movie got a lot of praise. So I think it's it's divisive. But I understand it's cult status. Because mm-hmm. if you're into it, then you're probably super into it. Because it probably does a lot of things really well. But I just, I don't know. Yeah. This is what I'll say. Dear listener. If you watched the entire last season of Game of Thrones, this is shorter than many of those episodes and will not disappoint you in the same way. So throw it on. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, go in with no expectations and uh, you might be pleasantly surprised. Get in the loop. Throw it on. (laughs) Just do it. I'll just play the beginning part of the podcast again so everyone will think it's back in time and we can tell them not to watch it until they've seen the movie. (laughs) Don't listen any further. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, this is future Adam talking. This episode's going to be six hours long. (laughs) Listen to it while you're in the box. What a great idea. Johnny too loved this one. (laughs) (laughs) He can't be with us right now because he's a gajillionaire, but he loved it. He loved it. (laughs) He thought it's a really great idea. He wrote us a note on a $10 million bill (laughs) said I loved it. Yeah. I'm listening to the audiobook of how he made his millions, and he said it all started with the movie Primer and how much I loved it. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts from, from Johnny One on nope. this? No. Bridget? Good? I'm good. Huh. Yeah, see it. Or don't. Or don't. Clearly it's not going to make an impact on you if you don't see it, because I had no reference point for it. Yeah. 
It would be interesting to. to I find... thought it was a fake movie. Part of it, like, did you guys film it? Like, did you guys make this? Me movie? and Adam made this. Yeah. Movie. <laughs> No, I would like to find somebody. So if you if you're one of those people who genuinely like loves it, head over heels in it from the very beginning, watch it every year, kind of like if if somebody out there thinks of this movie it's a primer in that head, way, the primer head, then like absolutely, I want to I want to hear more about it because like maybe maybe we just missed something, maybe we don't get it, but as it stands, I think it's a serviceable first film that has some really great ideas and could have used more polish. Like, this wouldn't surprise me if this was, like, you know how, like, like Tim Burton did a Frankenweenie animated mm-hmm. student film and then made it a real movie? Yeah. This feels like the student project that then you turn into the $300 million blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, where you still have the, the roots and the smart identity, but now you've got the budget and the person to mm-hmm. tighten it tighten yeah. it up a bit. And just more manpower, more eyes on it to mm-hmm. kind of see... Yeah. Same they did it with Whiplash, too. Yeah. Yeah. So just like a perfect... This is like a really awesome proof of concept yeah. movie. More so than it is a fully fleshed out feature film that'll blow you away. Right. All right. Well, that'll do it then for this week's episode of Fine I'll Watch It. Remember, you can find every episode of Fine I'll Watch It every Thursday morning on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So let us know what you think of the show. If you give us five stars, that we greatly appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. Tell a friend uh, if you like. If you if there's someone that you've been dying to get them to see Primer, this is the podcast to, to get them to do it. Uh, I mean, if you couldn't as their friend, I don't know how we'll do it, but we're going to try. At least they'll be on the journey with us as someone who's never seen it before. You can maybe bounce some feedback because they won't listen to you if you absolutely <laughs> love it and they don't. So let us know. Uh, what you think of it on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. You can let us know what you think of the movie. Did you get a friend to listen to it? Do they love it? Are they with us where it's it's kind of good, but not great? Uh, let us know on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. But once again, for fine, I'll watch it. My name is Adam. I'm Bridget. And I'm Johnny. And thanks so much for listening.